Hello, I'm Father Benedict Rochelle of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal and from the South Bronx, and I want to welcome you to the fifth segment of our series on God the Father. As we've gone along, we've looked at what we can tell about God from the material universe, as revealed in the science of astronomy, physics, what we can tell about God from the philosophers, particularly from the Greeks. And now we turn to God who speaks, to God as we know him through his own direct revelation to people, apart from the revelation that he makes of himself in the material world. You'll recall that St. Paul says that we can know the invisible things from the visible ones. But now we're going to look at God's Word, his mysterious openness to people, his calling to people. I should tell you that many people in the ancient world hoped that God was calling, and they tried to find out what he was saying. Plato says that we go through life hoping that there is another existence after this life, but we would have to have a revelation of God to be sure. That revelation of God actually was going on in Plato's time, but he didn't know about it, couldn't tell it, because God was not revealing himself to the philosophers, but to a poor group of Bedouin, a Bedouin nation living in the wilderness, trying to eke out an existence, trying to get their own land, by this time, they had established a kingdom, uh, they had a history, and we think of that history perhaps in larger terms than it really was. The Jewish people before the time of, of Christ, or particularly before the time of the Maccabees, were not major players in the history of the world. The events we see recorded in the Old Testament in the Jewish Bible are magnificent in the messages that they give us, but in terms of them being a very integral part of the history of the ancient world, that's not quite in perspective. Nevertheless, God reveals something, and he revealed it to the Jews, and it was something that nobody else knew about him the Greek philosophers, then the Romans, the Eastern philosophers like Confucius, they knew about God that he was fecund, that he was generous, that he was magnanimous, because nature is. They also knew he was mysterious because nature can be very capricious. It, it, it can give you good messages and then give you bad ones. It can bring beautiful days and it can bring thunderstorms and cyclones. It can bring magnificent crops, and it can bring drought and death. And so, the, the ancient peoples were puzzled about this God of creation. But the one people who knew so much more about him were the Jews. And here we have the religious history of the Jews up to the time of Christ which Christians call the Old Testament, 
Jewish people don't call it that. They call it the scriptures. And we share this, at least the first five books of the Bible, with the Muslims too. They have the Torah of the first five books. Now, God showed to these people, to the Jews, something that none of the Greeks ever suspected. And that was that God was merciful. Merciful? The Greeks thought of mercy as a weakness of the mind. Nature is not merciful. Nature can be bounteous, but it is not merciful. You make a mistake with nature, and nature will pay you back. You corrupt a river, you destroy fields, you cut down forests, you've done a damage that is not undone. You may be sorry you did it. God may forgive you for doing it. But nature never forgives. Nature is relentless. It has no ability to back up. And this led to, in the ancient world, not only among the Greeks, but among the Goths, among the peoples of the forests, among the traditional religions, say, in Africa today or in the rainforests. God is seen as punitive, just, but punitive, and someone that you don't fool around with, because he is not merciful. And it, it, the Jewish scriptures begin with an act of divine mercy. The failure of Adam and Eve to live up and pass the test which is given them. The test is described in very simple ways. The simple people of a prohibition of participating in some fruit, partaking of a fruit. Whatever they did, it was far more profound because it brought with it a knowledge of evil which they did not have. And in that very event, God promises salvation through uh, his son. Well, through his agent. It does not yet say his son. But it's very, very interesting what it says. Uh, and this is when they misbehave God. And God says to the serpent, the figure of evil, because you have done this, Cursed are you among all the cattle. On your belly you shall walk and you shall eat dust. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he will bruise your head and you shall lie and you shall bruise his heel. Now, that's the promise of salvation. The pronouns there are not clearly masculine pronouns in this translation, which is the standard revised, it says he can equally say she will crush you. Now, whatever else is the beginning of the undoing of the curse. And the rest of the history of the human race is the history of that curse and its undoing, that evil. You may say, well, why in the world should you and I, who live thousands of years later, why should we be burdened with an evil that our first parents, the first people, committed? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. If you live in New York, it's very obvious that we are. I don't know why, but it is obvious 
that we carry a burden. And I think if you look around carefully any place else, nicer places than New York, you know, Grand Rapids or Ventura or wherever it happens to be, uh, wherever you go, Hollywood or the Black Forest or any place, you're going to find people, all of them, carrying a burden of evil, of, of the capability of wickedness, of temptation, of that. And we find God being merciful. Now this idea of God being merciful was a very, very difficult thing for some people to accept. Even today, I have a f number of friends who are African priests and sisters. And their families have mostly been Christian, converted by missionaries, in the last two or three generations. But the first older people that the missionaries met when they went to Africa, these people did not become Christians. You know why? Because Christianity was too easy. You could be forgiven. And the old people in the traditional religion, they didn't believe that because nature does not forgive. And in Africa, in tribal life, if someone seriously misbehaves, they are severely punished and there is no mercy. Even the Greeks, as I mentioned to you, despise the idea of mercy. Some of you have heard of the Greek tragedies. Perhaps the most powerful of them is the Greek play Oedipus Rex, made famous by the so-called Oedipal Conflict. The Oedipal Conflict is a psychological process identified by Freud uh, in which children are jealous of the parent of the opposite sex. Whether it be true or not is another question. But in, in the Greek idea, King Oedipus is an interesting person. The city is conquered by a cruel tyrant. He kills the king and marries the king's wife. And he's looking all over for the little baby prince and he can't find him. The queen will tell him where the prince is. And in the customs of those times, she is forced to marry the person who has killed her husband. Talk about women's rights. As time goes on, a young hero rises out of the people, and this hero leads a revolution and kills the wicked king. And now he is free to marry the queen. And she happily marries him, because he has avenged her first husband. But terrible calamities come down on the city-state. Hailstorms, earthquakes, all kinds of terrible things. Nobody knows what's wrong. And they're having a big meeting. They're trying to figure out what happened. Why are the gods angry? And a little peasant woman comes out of the crowd. She's the little peasant woman who raised the present king. And she says, I know why the gods are angry. Because the king is married to his mother. She had raised that little boy. And she knew that he was really the prince. He did not know it himself. And in the very last scene of the play, it's extremely dramatic. King Oedipus comes out. His face is drenched with blood. Blood is running down his garments. 
because he's plucked out his own eyes as an act of repentance so he never again may see the children who are both his offspring and his siblings. No mercy! But the Jews, all the Jews, they knew something about divine mercy. It had been revealed to them. And so we read in the Psalms beautifully. Here's the 118th Psalm. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel say, his merciful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. Now this word that I'm reading as love or mercy is basically the same word. Mercy and love of God are the same word. And they mean something terribly important. If you're somebody who is interested in grace, in Christianity, in salvation, whatever you're interested in, along those lines, you've got to understand this concept. And I have spoken about it before in EWTN, so I hope I'm not boring you. But the concept is of unmerited love, forgiveness, and mercy. You cannot merit mercy and forgiveness. How does it come? Well, it's because it's the nature of God. There's so many beautiful quotations in sacred scripture, and it compares the mercy of God, now listen to this, to the love that a mother has for, un for her unborn child. Does an unborn child merit the mother's love? No. Not at all. The child is loved without doing anything. That's mercy, love, compassion. In the 131st Psalm we read, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is with me. Mercy is compared to the relationship of mother and son. In Isaiah, this is very, very clear. Isaiah 49:15, the great prophet of the Messiah. Can a woman forget her nursling child or show no compassion on the child of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. Here we're getting a different picture from the philosophers. But the philosopher's God is one true, good, beautiful, just. But here he is, merciful. And you know, throughout the Old Testament, he has mercy. He forgives. He takes compassion on people. Now I come to one of my absolutely favorite people in the Old Testament. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Isaiah. Well, they're all favorites. Not Moses, but the slave girl, Hagar, the poor little Gentile slave girl of Abraham and uh, Sarah. She's not their child, she's a slave that works with them. And, and this girl, to me, reveals so much about God. You must remember that I worked all my life with the poor. 
right this minute I'm responsible as chairman of the board of Good Council Homes for almost 70 homeless moms and their babies. We have one home for girls even with serious emotional problems. And when I go there and I see how vulnerable these girls are, I say to myself in the depths of my soul, Hagar. Hagar was the servant of Sarah, Sarai, wife of Abraham, and she got herself into trouble. She was a fresh kid, and she made fun of the old lady because the old lady did not have any children of her own, and she had this little boy, Ishmael. And Sarai was very, very angry about it and tough, and Hagar ran away. And the angel of the Lord sends her back. And he says, the Lord will make your son the father of many nations. Well, more trouble. And this time, Sarai insists that Abraham send the slave girl away after the birth of the miraculous birth of Isaac. Uh, and um, we read in Genesis 21, 9. Sarai saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave girl with her son, for the son of this slave girl shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Abraham, be not displeased because of the lad and because of your slave woman. Slave woman. Whatever Sarai says to you, do as she tells you. For though Isaac shall be your descendants, through, through Isaac your descendants shall be named. But I will make a nation of the son of the slave girl, also because he is your offspring. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water, gave it to Hagar, putting her on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now just think of this. Slave girl, skin of water, some bread, little baby, walking out in the wilderness. And she ran out of water. She was downhearted. And she says uh, she put the little boy under a tree. She wouldn't hear him crying. She said, let me not look upon the death of this child. And she sat over against him, and the child lifted up his voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the child. And the angel of God came to Hagar from heaven, and he said, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, God has heard the voice of this child where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him fast in your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad to drink. And God was with the lad. And he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert at the bow. Now this, this Ishmael is believed to be the father of the southern Arabs, the Arabs of the south. He's still around. Isaac went on to become the father of the Jews. The Lord had compassion on this poor little child, this little slave girl and her baby. God is a God of compassion. Over and over in the Old Testament, 
we find God showing compassion, forgiveness, mercy. So that all over the place in the Old Testament, along with the justice of God, is the mysterious message of the mercy of God. Because His mercy endures forever. And you, even if you are not a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim, you probably believe in the mercy of God. You think somehow or other, whatever you think about God, you think of Him as merciful because of the impact that the Bible has had on the thought of the whole world. Particularly when I talk to Hindus or I read Hindu writings, I'm struck by the impact of Christianity on modern Hinduism. I don't think anybody in the world today except somebody who's mentally ill, perhaps, or somebody terribly fanatical, thinks that God is without mercy. The mercy of God is shown particularly in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he come? We believe he is the Messiah. Why did he come? To bring the mercy of God, to bring the forgiveness of God. He says himself, Blessed are the merciful for they shall see God. Had his disciples always been merciful? By no means. By no means. His disciples have never all been anything. But when they are merciless, or without mercy, they go directly against his example and his teaching. You know, Jesus taught with parables. He, they are stories. And one of his great parables is the parable of the unjust steward, the merciless steward. This man that makes a mess of his job, the king calls him in, he's got them into great debt, huge debt. king says, you're going to be locked up until that debt is paid, you'll be tortured. And the man says, no, 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 have mercy on me and my wife, my children, don't put us into slavery. And the king forgives the debt. And the same servant goes out and he needs another servant of his another servant who owes him some, a small amount of money, and he beats him up and throttles him and demands the money and puts him in jail till the money is paid. We see the mercy of God and the mercilessness of the servant. Be careful in your life, and I need to be careful in mine. Christians have a very difficult role, so do Jews. We must teach the justice of God. We must teach the commandments of God. As I said in the earlier segment, we have no right to decide what is good or what is evil. That is defined in Scripture, is defined in nature, in the natural law, because it comes, it flows from the very being of God. For this reason, all sane human beings know that good is to be done and evil is to be avoided. And we also know that evil brings its own reward, that those who do evil destroy themselves. They come to their own judgment. The words of Jesus, those who take the sword shall perish by the sword, are often verified in history. I know I was in the concentration camp 
at Dachau visiting the museum. And there was a picture of SS troops there with steins of beer having a party. And it said underneath, where are they now? Where are they now? The justice of God. But also, there is the mercy and compassion of God. If there's anything that Christianity ought to teach, it's compassion. Now, there are people listening to this broadcast who are saying to me, Ha! Christianity is compassionate. Well, why doesn't it understand me? I'm, I'm living in some circumstance which is against the Bible. They may be living together in a relationship and they're not married. They may be living in a relationship that is forbidden by sacred scripture. A relationship of two people of the same sex living together as partners. Say, so why isn't Christianity, why isn't the church merciful to me? The church must teach what God has revealed. The church must teach what is in the natural law. And when it does not do so, when the clergy or the laity of any religion and of any time do not teach that, then they themselves bring a judgment on themselves. I belong to a church that is not bashful about its teachings. I was saying the rosary a week ago in front of an abortion clinic. And two of the women who work with us were trying to counsel girls not to have an abortion as they went in. And one of them turned around. She and her boyfriend went in and they came back out. Were, being, were we being merciless to the others? No. We were trying to tell them the truth. And when they came out, we showed them kindness and compassion and we tried to help them. And we would do the same to those who even do these things. I pray for them every day that they will see the light. Because I would not dare enjoy condemning anybody. Because blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy.